Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Good to be in the house today. It's great to see all your faces. Um, you know, our values, one of our vision statement that supports really a lot of the values that you see of Authentic Church really stems from three simple aspects, and that is that we would be a house where people would encounter God, that people would discover community, and that we would all fulfill the call of God on our lives. Uh, we believe that that's God's heart for all of us, and, and we desire that God encounters, and God encounters us typically through worship and time in his word and time in prayer. Uh, there's three named angels in the Bible that you read about. There's millions of angels, but there's only three that we uh, know the names of, and that was Lucifer, Gabriel, and then the angel Michael. And uh, one of those three is out of a job, by the way. Uh, so one of the three oversaw what was known as worship, and then the other one, Gabriel, every time you hear from him, he's giving a word, so he would represent the word of God. And then you have Michael, and Michael was the result of prayers of the saints, and Daniel was praying, and Michael tells him, look, you've been praying for a long time, but when you first prayed, I started to move. And so for us, like our heartbeat is that people would encounter the presence of God, that this would be a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. And so uh, we, we value that. And, and we would also desire that, you know, with our, with our vision of encountering God and discover community, that it's not just a cute phrase or a statement, but really that you would encounter community. So like Lacey mentioned, the, the groups, the connect groups that are going on, I just want to encourage you as a pastor, um, there's only so much that can happen on a Sunday morning in pews that a lot more happens in the context of a living room sitting around the sitting around the sofa, sitting around the table, et cetera. And so if you're not in a group, the pastoral plea I'm giving you, get involved in a group. There's a lot of great groups that are going on. And another aspect that I just want to bring your attention to is if you want to get involved in Authentic, if you want to start serving in Authentic, if you want to find out more about the church or more about us, um, every quarter we have what's called a Next Steps Experience. And that's, uh, it's kind of like it sounds. Everybody has a next step in their, uh, in their journey with God, all of us do. Nobody ever arrives, per se, until we get to heaven, and then we just keep on worshiping and enjoying the presence of God. But everybody has a next step. We all have next steps in our journey with God. And so the Next Steps class is really to help you take the next step in your journey with God and your relationship to the church. And so we take time. I lead it. My wife and I typically lead it. And, uh, and we take time just to meet with every person and get to know them a little bit. And then we also answer questions. And then we just share some, some thoughts on good, sound, basic doctrine um, that we adhere to here at, the, at Authentic Church. And, uh, and we also take time to help you discover your spiritual gifts. We believe every person has been given gifts by God. And we want to see you find those gifts and utilize those gifts. Because when you find your gifts and you know what you were created for and know the calling on your life, you're going to feel more of a sense of purpose and fulfillment in life. And so our heartbeat with the Next Steps experience is really that we would help you do that. So if you've never been through Next Steps uh, experience, uh, even if you didn't sign up, you can join me today. Uh, lunch is on me. Uh, child care, if you got kids, we'll, we'll watch your kids for you, okay? And that's, it's, uh, it's a two-part, it's just one hour immediately following service. So it'll go from 12 to 1, we'll feed you. And uh, part one is this week, and then next week is part two. 
And again, we do that just once a quarter. So if you can make it today and you'd like to get involved in Authentic and like to find out more, make time to do that and join us. And that would be awesome. All right, you ready for the word of God today? Well, we're launching a new series that we titled Kingdom Come. And it's focused on praying powerful and effective prayers. And um, I don't know about you, but I grew up feeling like prayer was probably something important in my life. I grew up learning the Lord's Prayer as a good Catholic boy. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And I, but I said it more as a mantra rather than as an invitation to relationship. And then when I got saved and started really living for God and, and forming a relationship with him, uh, I had a desire to know how to pray. And I found that within the scriptures, it's really easily laid out. Jesus teaches us, and all throughout the scriptures, there's beautiful uh, nuggets of wisdom, pearls for us to be able to hold on to that we may grow in our prayer life because really at the core of it, God wants to communicate with you. He wants to encounter you. He wants you to know him and he wants to hear from you and hear your heart because he loves you and he created you for a purpose and, and he desires to have a relationship with us. And so uh, I, I, as I began my journey, I had a pastor that took me under his wing and he would teach me how to pray. And over the course of the next seven weeks, it's gonna be a seven-week series that we do, uh, we're going to answer a lot of the questions like, why do we pray? How do I pray? What are, what are, what are some reasons to pray? Um, why, why, should, why, why do I need to pray? In, what's prayer like? What does it sound like? What does it look like? So we're going to dive into all of that. And by the end of the seven weeks, I'm telling you, you're going to be a church of prayer warriors, okay? You're going to feel comfortable. You're going to feel confident in your own prayer life. And when we gather together corporately to pray, the atmosphere is going to shift. It's going to be a beautiful time. So I don't know where you're at with your journey, but wherever you might be, I think we can all agree that more prayer is good for any one of us, right? It's like, it's like drinking water. It's probably always good to drink a little bit more water than you're drinking typically. It's always good to hit the gym maybe a little bit more. Well, this is, a, this is the, the spiritual discipline, the time of prayer in that relationship with God. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word, all right? So let's pray. And the Lord is calling you and he's telling you that he wants to speak to you today. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and your presence. God, thank you for your presence in this place this morning, God. We thank you. Thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you're close, that you're here with us. God, we're asking you to speak this morning. You'd speak to every heart and mind. Speak to us in your word Touch our minds, our thoughts right now. We just command any spirit that's not of you, any thought that's not of you just to go. In Jesus' name, the only spirit that's welcome in this place is the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and breathe. Breathe on the word. Breathe on the communicator. Breathe on our time together today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, what is prayer? You know, prayer is powerful. Prayer is public. And at times, prayer is also private. Um, at, at the root of it, like a basic definition of what prayer is, prayer is talking to God. Just put simply, prayer is simply talking to God. It's communicating with him and him communicating with, with all of us. 
And, you know, prayer is not some uh, meditation or just a passive reflection and we just sit and hum. No, that's not. Prayer is actually having communication, times where you're talking to God and you're also listening to God. There's times where you might talk a lot in prayer and there's times where you might just shut up and God's going to speak a lot to you. And how many know both is important, right? And we, we need to talk, and yeah, but we don't want to just go through a laundry list and say, in Jesus' name, amen, and just move on. No, God wants to encounter you. He wants to speak to you. And when you pray and you open yourself up, what happens is you begin to align yourself with the heart of God, and he begins to show you things and download things. And prayer is so powerful. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 21, 22. He said, Prayer is this powerful that whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the words of Jesus. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have the faith. Now, let me pause right there. It doesn't mean you just get whatever you want. Okay, it doesn't mean that it's just like the whole blab it and grab it and I'm just going to go through this laundry list and God is my genie and if I rub the lamp and I pray the right prayers, poof, it falls into my lap. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what happens when we pray, this beautiful thing happens, God begins to work on your heart and he begins to soften your heart and the more you pray, the more you sense the presence of God, the more you hear his voice and then suddenly you realize that he is Lord of all. And your heart begins to shape and be molded by the great creator. And then you get a heart for his will and you understand what his desire is. And then when your prayers begin to match and line up with his will, supernatural things begin to happen. That's why it's so critical that we know the scriptures because if you don't know the word of God, then you won't be able to trust. Was that my voice or was that the voice of God or was that pizza from last night, right? And so that's what's so critical about being in the word of God. And by the way, when you get a word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is subject to the God of the word, okay? So the God of the word gives his word. And then when you receive a word of the Lord, a prophetic unction, a feeling, etc., then you take that and you submit it to the word of God, and the God of the word will confirm it for you. At another time, Jesus says this, Mark eleven twenty four. 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Jesus wants you, he's telling you, hey, here's a way, I want to show you that through prayer that all things come together. Things happen when you pray. Prayer is one of the core values of Authentic Church, and we have it in there, and it says prayer is the catalyst for everything. Things begin in prayer. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. When you pray, things happen. And, and you come to God with the right heart, and he changes you, molds you, and then as you pray those prayers, supernatural things happen. Hebrews 4.16 is an invitation. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. So when we come into God's house, when we begin to worship, when we, when we spend time in prayer, when we come, we don't come timid as if somebody doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. No, Jesus paid the ultimate price to give you and me what we don't deserve. Another way it's said is he took what he didn't deserve in going to the cross to give you and I what we don't deserve. And we have access now to the Father through what Jesus did. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So we know because of what Jesus did, because of what he paid, that I don't come into God's presence based on what Jeff did right. 
No, I come into his presence because of what Jesus did. Jesus paid the price, and now I have that access as we're partakers with Christ, and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain the mercy that I need in my time of need. So there was a pastor one time, he said, uh, you're praying, the, 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 the life that you have right now, you're walking out the prayers that you prayed six months ago. And I don't know if there's an exact measurement. I, I don't find anywhere in scriptures that says that specifically. Whatever you pray today, six months later, it's gonna come to pass. But the thought behind it is that when you pray prayers, that you're later on, you're gonna walk some of those prayers out. Some of you are walking out prayers that were prayed for by somebody else on your life from like six years ago. Somebody in here, you're walking in prayers right now that people prayed for you 20 years ago, right? Some of you are walking in prayers right now because there was a church on a campus that prayed for your salvation a year ago and you walked in the building and had an encounter with God. Prayers that you pray, it adds up. There's big dividends in spending time in prayer. And um, my pastor, uh, growing up, uh, my pastor's wife, Pastor Ginny, she had this famous statement, and I, I kid you not, I think she literally said it every time she taught the Word of God, and it was just grilled into us, and she would tell us as young budding pastors and leaders, she would tell us what begins as a discipline will become a delight, and I can even hear her, hear, hear her voice ringing in my head. I saw her uh, this past week, uh, earlier in the week, and, and I could just, every time I see her and I see her smile, I just hear her sweet voice saying, what begins as a discipline will become a delight. And we just need to make the decision to spend time praying. You know, if, if I wanted to know what your life is like, and you could tell me all these different things, well, I do this and I do that, but all we have to know is we take a look in your calendar, and we could take a look in your checkbook to find out what's really important to you, right? Just look in my calendar, see where I prioritize and spend my time, and you look in my checkbook and you see where I spend money, and you'll find out what's really, truly important in my life, what I truly prioritize. And unfortunately, sometimes life gets busy, and we don't prioritize prayer. And if you're wondering where this message was birthed from, um, yeah, I, came, I came into the summertime, and, and overall in my life, I, I've, been, uh, I, I've, I've had a, what I would call a healthy prayer life. So, sometimes I, I prayed more than others. Uh, very few times that I hit like a valley of like no prayer for weeks, um, but I've gone through those times and seasons. And uh, in this past summer, I was going through a season where there was just a lot of pressure. Uh, there was stuff, there was family stuff, there was a lot of pressure with church stuff, there was, there was relationship stuff, and it just felt a lot of pressure. And I pulled back from praying, and one morning I was praying, and the Holy Spirit told me, the reason that you're not praying more about that is because you feel too much pain when you go there. But I'm telling you, I want you to go there, and I want you to pray. And so the Lord lovingly rebuked me <laughs> and, that, and gave me that invitation to come closer to him. And I felt um, that this would be a, a, a series where we would all draw closer to him. James 4.8 says, if you draw near to God, he's faithful to draw near to you. And I feel in this hour for our church and for us individually that it's time to go to another level in, in your prayer life. And uh, I won't do a show of hands, but 
as we go through uh, the series, and even this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about that. And what does that look like? What does is, what is going to another level look like in your prayer life? It's going to look different for you than it is for me. There's no magic number. Jesus told his disciples, he said, could you not pray with me one hour? Like what, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody has to pray for an hour, but how many know it's not a bad thing if you prayed for an hour, right? <laughs> one, of my, one of my habits that I have in my family, in my house, is I'm an early riser. I, I love to wake up early. I love it when the house is nice and quiet. And finally, it's not like 80 degrees outside at six in the morning, right? You know, finally we got some reprieve. It's a little cooler. You got the fall candle that you like to burn. I have my perfect pumpkin spice smell of a candle, and I, I set the atmosphere, baby. I light that candle. I got my light over by my chair. That's my chair. Nobody sits in that chair. That's my, that's dad's chair. That's the only, that's dad's chair. And I sit there, and I'll read the word of God, and I'll pour over the scriptures, and I'll journal. I like to write a lot, and I'll just spend time in the presence of God. And, and, and that began as a discipline, and it's become a delight in my life. And, and maybe you're looking for, like, what's, what's, a, what's a thing? You're, you're, sometimes we look for, like, what, what's, a, what's a hook? And it's not like, uh, I'm, I don't mean it like look for a hook in terms of, like, hey, what's a, what's a shortcut? I'm, I'm saying you're looking for a tool. Like, what's something that I can hear today that I can implement that's a tool in my tool belt for encountering God? And that may just be the nugget that you needed to hear today is just waking up early, setting the atmosphere, and praying. I know somebody that, that's here, and they, they always leave their Bible left open. They leave it open, sitting on their coffee table. So anytime they pass by it, it's an invitation into the Word of God. And that's just a simple, small thing that they do as a reminder. What, what would it be for you? What would it look like for you to put a premium on prayer in your life? The uh, kind of the, the main scripture that we're going to refer to much as we go through the next seven weeks is, is an encouragement, a call to prayer that's, uh, that Paul gave to the, 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 the Thessalonians. And it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says this, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's say it all together today like we got some energy, like you've had 20 ounces of coffee this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some of you have never read scriptures out loud before. I want to encourage you. That's one of the beautiful things with God's word is when you open it up and you begin to read it aloud, especially the promises of God all throughout the scriptures. And when you read the Bible, there's typically two things you see. You see truths and you see commands. And the truth is something you hold on to. The command is something you adhere to, right? You, you, you take that and you walk, you walk it out. And there's something so powerful about taking the Bible and just reading it aloud, hearing the word of God come off of your lips from your heart, and you begin to read the word, and maybe you pray the word. Sometimes I'll sit down at the piano in my house, and I'll just sing the word of God. I'll just open to Psalms, uh, one of the Psalms of Ascent, like Psalm 122 or wherever, and I'll just begin to sing and just begin to, to worship and to praise him. And there's something beautiful about just taking the word of God, reading it aloud, singing it aloud, speaking it aloud. So we, we, we all would agree, I think most of us would agree, there's, there's a desire to pray. We have a desire to pray. There's a need to pray. Why don't we pray? <laughs> well, Jesus reminds us of the enemy. There's a devil that he's prowling around in John 10, verse 10. He says that the thief comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. 
So there is a real devil, and I'm gonna get serious for a moment. I don't wanna scare anybody, but I want to encourage you with a real serious um, thought that this scripture that you just you see right here, this is reality. There is a real devil, and he hates you. He hates you. Like he wants to murder you. He wants to stomp you out. He wants to kill your family. He wants to kill your children. He wants to see you so fallen and broken that you think you are too far from God that you can never crawl back. He, he wants you to think that you are always defeated, that you never measure up, that you're never gonna be good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, handsome. He wants you to think that you're a loser. This devil goes around and he tries to convince you they're never gonna like you, that church is never gonna accept you. If they only knew, oh man, then all hell would break loose in your life. He wants, to, he wants you to feel so defeated that you can't do like we did in that song, throw up our hands and praise him again and again. He wants you to feel so crouched with fear and anxiety and depression that you can barely make it out your front door. There is a real devil and he wants to crush you. He came only to steal. Everything that he can steal from you, he wants to steal. He wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you, and everything that you're about. But I have good news. <laughs> you're thinking like, oh my goodness, what, what kind of church did I come to? I do have good news. Jesus came, and he, and, and he has more power than all the hordes of hell. And when you spend time in prayer, and you begin to access that power, you access the creator, you access the savior, life begins to shift and things change. The Bible says otherwise, and Jesus said this in John 14. In John 14, Jesus said this. There we go. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Question, if you got all of your prayers answered today, would it glorify the Son or glorify you? That's a, that's, that's a good check and balance. That's, that's, that's a good measuring line. God, if I, if I get this prayer answered, would it glorify you more or would it glorify me more? Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. James 5.16, which most believe is the brother of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at his working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. I like how it's phrased. Eugene Peterson wrote the message paraphrased. Um, no relation. But uh, he wrote this in James 5.16. He said, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Isn't that a cool thought? Like just that visual, man. That, like there's power in your prayers. So question, if we believe that prayer changes things, why don't we pray more? Well, I personally think it's because some people have wrong theology. People, some people have a wrong theology. They have a wrong view. They have, they have poor doctrine when it comes to prayer, why we pray, how we pray, etc. Theology, if, if you're not familiar with that term, theology is essentially two Greek words put together. You have theos, meaning God, and then logos, which is the word about or the study of. So literally it's the, the, the or, or the study of God as revealed in the scriptures. So theology, um, God and, and the word. So the theology is the study of the subject of God. And when you study about the subject of God, what you learn is that there's attributes of God. 
uh, when I was uh, doing my research in preparation for this, and, and you know, different theologians and commentaries and different Bible teachers, like pe- people view like one person's like, no, there's three primary attributes of God, and, and I would read that, and I'm like, that's good, yeah, I would agree with that. And then this other guy over here is like, well, if you break down the three, there's actually 20. And I'm just like, okay, so I'm researching the 20. It's like, oh, that's like a pretty good point. And then this other guy had like 100 attributes of God and this, that, and the other. And, and what, is, what is an attribute? Well, if you look at the word attribute, what is, what is it? It's, it, it? It's just as it sounds, to pay tribute. It's a tribute. So if, if I'm going to pay a tribute to God, here's the attributes of God that we would talk about. These are various attributes of him. And if you look at the word tribute, in the word tribute, you see the word tribe. What is tribe? Tribe is characteristics that kind of define a group of people, right? And so, uh, so, you, so these attributes of God, and I, I had a Bible teacher t- uh, tell me one time that there was two primary attributes, and we're gonna unpack it here today, two primary attributes that he felt tripped us up. And when I learned these attributes myself, they didn't trip me up and demotivate me for prayer, they actually really motivated me for, to pray. And so I wanna share that with you today. And the first of the two attributes that he shared with me that we looked into is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And, and people misuse this uh, attribute often, and I, I just want to help unpack this for you today. S- sovereignty of God, it comes from sove reign. So the first one, just as it looks, sovereignty of God, sove is supreme, and then reign is just what it means, reign, right? So the sovereignty of God is the supreme reign of God. And if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Jeremiah 32, and we're going to unpack this uh, cool story um, of Jeremiah purchasing something. I'm going to show you something beautiful in the scriptures uh, that I think is I think you're going to enjoy. And you know, when you read the scriptures and you're studying it, um, you're, you're drawing out, right? When we, we talk about like uh, to exegete the text, uh, you're, you're, it actually means you're drawing out. And when you do that, you can take a look at the text from a historical perspective. You can take a look at the text from a geographical perspective. You can take a look at it from a messianic perspective. What is this pertaining to? And then there's the, a lot of people miss is the revelation. What's, what's the revelatory thing that I'm gathering as I pull out the text? When I don't just read the logos for the logos, but I read the logos until I get the rhema. So the logos is the written word. The rhema is the God-breathed word. I can't show you in the Bible the scripture that said, Jeff and Fawn Peterson, I want you to move to California and I want you to plant authentic church. I don't see that in the scriptures, although that would have been really cool. I don't see that in the scriptures, but I see a lot of scriptures that when I read the logos and I prayed, the rhema word of God came alive to me and the Lord confirmed. And like he told Abraham, look at the sand of the seashore and see that your descendants are gonna be numerous like that. And when I read that, that leaped off my page that I was not going to the Rocky Mountains, that the Lord was sending me to the shores of California. Praise God. I can't show you some different things in scriptures specifically if you should take that job or marry that person. I can give you some wisdom from the scriptures and give you my own opinion, but really at the end of the day, it's gonna be the spirit of the Lord that speaks to you in his word that confirms it with a rhema shot to your spirit. All right, so Jeremiah 32, eight through 11 says this. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, so Jeremiah's cousin, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, cousin, please buy this field that is in Anathoth which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, remember this, and the redemption is yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So whatever happened before that, Jeremiah suddenly, he's like, this is the word of the Lord. 
Verse 9, so I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who is in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So powerful. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So again, so I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So Jeremiah speaks of a few things here. He speaks of two deeds, and he speaks of two rights. So there's two deeds that he's talking about. There was a sealed deed, and there was an open deed, okay? He speaks of two rights. In that passage of scripture we just read, he talked about the right of redemption, and then there's the right of inheritance. So he says, basically, it's his uncle's, it's his uncle's son. So his cousin comes to him, and most theologians would believe that Jeremiah, something happened. This, this, Jeremiah's family owned this field. They owned this piece of land. Something happened. Most people believe that his dad probably died when he was young. And because their family, most likely, none of them were of the age yet where they could work the field to produce money to be able to pay, pay for their needs, the uncle steps in and buys it with the open deed. He buys the, 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 he has a purchase price for the land so that his brother's wife and kids can be taken care of. That's what most theologians, if you study this out, would agree that that's most likely probably what happened. So Jeremiah, um, he, he, they, they, they live there, but really at the end of the day, his, his, uncle, his uncle's the one who owns it. And so his cousin says, hey, look, Jeremiah, uh, you're going to get this back anyway. You have, you have the right of redemption. You have that right of inheritance. You, in other words, you're the firstborn eldest son, okay? And because of that, this is naturally going to go back to you anyway. Rather than wait until your uncle dies, why, why don't you just buy it now? And then you can have it, and then it's yours. And Jeremiah goes, okay, I feel like that's the word of the Lord. So he, so, so he purchased it. Now, back then, just as it said, there was an open scroll, right? There's an open deed, and there was a sealed deed. The open deed went to the uncle when the uncle bought the land from their family. You following me? The closed deed, the sealed deed that said it belonged to Jeremiah's family, stayed with the family. So there was the open deed, and then there was the closed deed. The open deed transferred hands, and then there was the closed deed. At different times throughout history, and I'm not going to do a teaching on this right now, but at different times, that, that open deed would come back to them anyway. And so there was the open deed and the closed deed. You're tracking. All right. We were given, humanity was given an open deed, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve get an open deed. What does the Lord say? He's like, the earth, I want you right now, I want you to, to you're going to take dominion. You're, you're, it's, it's yours. You're going you're gonna to multiply. You're going to take care of it, et cetera. And they're, so they're, they're there, and they're in the garden, and life is great. And then what do they do? They fumble the ball on the one-yard line, and they basically hand the open deed over to Satan. So Satan has the open deed, and he takes it, and because of their sin, that's what ends up happening. In fact, when Jesus was tempted, if you go back through Matthew, I think it's Matthew 4, where Jesus is tempted, right? Satan comes to him. Satan says, hey, if you bow down and worship me, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms. And you notice, when you read that text, Jesus actually doesn't even argue with him. He doesn't argue that he rebukes him, but he doesn't argue with him that those are, those are his kingdoms. Because 
he had the open deed. But Jesus, as the firstborn son, decided to exercise his options on this place called earth. And when he paid the ultimate price, he redeemed it. And we, as believers and partakers in Christ, now we have access to that. And the closed deed always stayed in heaven with God. That open deed was passed back through. And so for us, we get to access heaven. We get to literally, you can bring kingdom to the kingdom of God to situations that you face. You can see, literally, you can see the, the, the blessing, the supernatural that comes from the heavenly realms. You can see it activated in lives here on earth because of your time in the presence of God, because of time in prayer, because of what Jesus did. And if you read Revelation chapter 5, I was chatting with uh, one of the leaders uh, about this this past week. We were sharing about Revelation 5, and, and she had reminded me, and, and it says this in Revelation 5. It is talking about in verse 1, And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. This is, this is John writing this book of Revelation. And he says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Verse 4. So I wept much. So John's crying because there was nobody worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, authority, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne." Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seal, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. The sovereignty of God the supreme reign, the power of God is a reason to pray. Some people say, well, you just gotta trust in God's sovereignty. And I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that before. Some people have said that. And, that, and that's not what the scriptures are talking about. It's not just simply trust. Yes, we trust in God's sovereignty, but we pray because he is the supreme power, the supreme authority on all things. And he has given you that authority, even though Adam and Eve lost that authority through Jesus, the firstborn son, came and got back that authority, and we get to have it as well. That's a good part for an amen. Boom. Matthew 16, 19 says this. Jesus says this. He says, I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This Wednesday night, we have what we call our pursuit night. The first Wednesday of every month, we dedicate that day to prayer. Many of us have times of prayer and fasting, praying for the things of God in, in the church, in our region. And it's, 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 more, it's more really seeking after the heart of God and declaring things on earth as they are in heaven, and they shall become. And so we do that every Wednesday, or the first Wednesday, of every month we do a pursuit night. Every Wednesday, 
we do prayer right here inside Needham Chapel. But the first Wednesday, we have a larger one, and the youth are with us on these nights as well. And I want to encourage you, I implore you, I'm practically begging you, make it a priority. If you're part of a serve team at church, if you lead any group, this is the best place to be. This takes precedence over any group you may lead. As great as your group is, this takes precedence, okay? We dedicate the first Wednesday to the Lord. We have extended times of prayer and worship, and it's going to be right here at 7 p.m. this coming Wednesday, so please don't miss it. I'll get off my soapbox, but do not miss it. All right, so the, the first aspect, the first attribute that should motivate us, but unfortunately it's tripped some of us up, was the sovereignty of God. The second attribute is the immutability of God. The immutability. What is that? The immutability of God is that his, his quality uh, of not changing, for God doesn't change, okay? Um, so he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's different scriptures that talk about that. Malachi 3, 6, I think we have it. I am the Lord, I do not change. So, uh, so people hear that and say, well, if God's not gonna change, then why do I need to pray? God's just gonna do what he does, right? Why would, I, why would I need to pray? God's just gonna do something or he's not gonna do it. What's the purpose of praying? And uh, this past week, there was a massive hurricane that slammed uh, the, the East Coast and is still kind of ripping and doing its thing, but it really hit hard in Florida. And one of our own in our congregation, April and Ryan Murray, reached out to Fawn and I and we're like, hey, this is going on. We need to pray, our family, et cetera. So we prayed for them. And, um, and, and I'd love to tell you that everybody we pray for always gets healed. I'd love to tell you everybody we pray for receives supernatural. It doesn't always flow that way. It doesn't change the fact that you continue to pray, okay? And so we started praying like crazy for this family, that they be kept safe. And they went to one spot, and then the hurricane starts turning towards them, and it was scary. I mean, if you guys saw, so there's a lot of people that are unaccounted for. There's a lot of people that have been pronounced dead. Like, there's floods. There's People couldn't get out. There's nowhere to go because Florida is flat as a pancake. And so all these people are experiencing flooding. Things are flying through the air, literally crushing and killing people. And we're praying. We're praying for this for members of their family. Guess what? Their family, we prayed that night. It was on Wednesday night. And uh, the saints were here with Jody and a bunch of others that were praying. And they took time to specifically pray for them. We were praying for them. And they ended up being totally safe. There's still issues. There's still power stuff. There's some water issues. But their area actually was, they were saved. And there was another family member of theirs that actually went to an area that was supposed to be safe, and the hurricane turned and started going to that area, and now they're stuck there. And they said, we came out, we were the only house in that whole area, we were the only building where there was no water. Everybody else is waterlogged, but ours was safe. We have, there's, there's no reason, there's no reason that we should have been kept safe. There's, not, there's no way to explain it except for the hand of God. Prayer is powerful. Your prayers are more powerful than you think. The lie of the devil would try to get you to think your prayers don't really matter. Your prayers aren't going to change anything. God's going to do what he just wants to do. That's what the devil wants. He wants to keep you back from a powerful, faith-filled prayer life. So I found that God, so the immutability of God is basically that God doesn't change. Now what that's referring to is God does not change his character. But there have been times where God has changed his mind. People say, God changed his mind? Like, that just, like, that, that's, that's kind of a mind trip for me. Like, God changed his mind. Yeah, God changed his mind. With the children of Israel, man, God has patience. If you don't think God has patience, you just look and read about the children of Israel <laughs> through the years. God has patience. 
You don't think God has patience? Just look in your own life and think like, oh man, Lord, if not by the grace of God, I would not even be here today. God has incredible patience. And on one particular time, God's done with the children of Israel. He's brought them out, they're out of Egypt, and he's leading them, and they continue to keep complaining and whining and moaning. And, and I, I found out when I became a dad, oh, I get, I get what you mean, God, that you don't like whining and complaining. Because any time that your kids whine or complain, it's like, oh, if you only knew how much we've sacrificed for you. You have no idea, right? My kids are awesome. <laughs> but we've all complained. And so the children of Israel complaining, and then finally God's had it. And so he tells Moses, I'm done. I'm gonna wipe them out and I'm gonna start over with you. I'm gonna start fresh. And Moses, what does he do? He gets down on his face and he begins to preach. Look, Lord, please don't. Lord, don't do that. God, please don't do that. And listen to this. The prayers of one man saved an entire nation. The prayers of one man saved an entire nation. Your prayers are powerful. So Moses gets down and he prays and then it says this. In Exodus 32, 14, where God changes his mind. It says, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now that word relented is very close to the word repented. In fact, sometimes in the Old Testament, they actually are interchangeable. And, and to repent, we think, turn away from sin. And that's not really what, I, that, that's what we talk about when we're talking about sin, repent. That's turning away. But repent actually means to change. Like you're changing your mind. Like I was going one way and I changed, right? When God relented, he's changing. He's, he, he's changing his mind. If you want another example, how about, how about Jonah? How about Jonah? Lord speaks to Jonah. He tells you, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, those people deserve to die. And, and the Lord's like, I got a message for you. Go and tell them that this, that, and the other's gonna happen. And then in 40 days, they're gonna be wiped out. And what does Jonah do? He's like, good, I want them. I want them to be wiped out, but I'm not gonna go proclaim it because I know how good you are, and if I go and say your word, then God, they're gonna do that, and then I'm gonna look like an idiot. So instead of going to Nineveh, he says, forget it, and he goes to Tarshish, right? And then there's the whole thing, and the whale, and everything else, and then Jonah finally, he says, okay, uncle, I'll go, Lord. So then Jonah finally says yes, and he goes up to Nineveh, and he's not doing it with a good attitude, and he marches in, and he's like, the Lord is gonna bring uh, destruction on this place in 40 days, it's gonna be wiped out, and they're like, Oh man, shoot, the prophet of God's here. Okay, we gotta change. And so they declare a holy fast and, and everybody is like, we're fasting, we're praying, we're not eating, we're not drinking, everything, and they turn and they change, right? And then in uh, Jonah 3.10, I think we have it on the screen. We have it on the screen, cool. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said that he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So God said he was gonna do something and then what happened? He, Changed his mind. He, he decided, I'm not going to do it. And then in, in Jonah 4, which is a continuation of the story, but it's, it's another chapter. It's in your Bible. It's Jonah 4, 1 through 3. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he becomes angry. It's like, Lord, I knew you were going to do this. So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, ah, Lord. That's exactly what Jonah sounded like. Ah, Lord. He's like, shucks, man. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, in other words, like, that's why that's why I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God. I know that you're slow to anger. I know that you're abundant in loving kindness. I, I know that you're one who relents from doing harm. 
and I don't want you to relent. I want you to smite them, almighty smiter. <laughs> like, you know, like, Jonah's like, I don't like them. They're not godly people. They deserve to be wiped off the face of the planet, right? And many of us might have prayed a prayer similar to that <laughs> about somebody that's wronged us in life, right? So Jonah prays this prayer, and he's like, oh, he's so frustrated, right? He's like, look what you did. Jonah knew that if they changed their ways, God would change his mind. And he didn't like that. Why? Why did he know that? He knew that God would change his mind because God is unchanging in his character. Because the character of God is mercy. He's filled with loving kindness. He's filled with grace. Jonah knew the character of God. He knew those attributes of God. He knew who God was. He's like, dude, I know it. I know what's gonna happen. If they turn around, pff. And I don't think they deserve it, God. And, he's a, and Jonah's like, I'm the judge, right? Any time you become judge and jury, watch out because you're next, you know? And so Jonah is frustrated and he sits down. And he's like, I might as well just die, right? You know, and there's that whole story that continues in the chapter. The point is this the immutability, the fact that God doesn't change, should invite us to pray. The fact that He is merciful and kind and just, that when you pray for people that don't know Him, if you pray for the people that have hardened hearts towards him, you pray for the people that seem so far gone there, like it would be a miracle they ever came. Hello, it's a miracle any of us came to Jesus, okay? It's a miracle, period, that you're saved. But there's those people, and when you begin to pray for them, as they begin to change, the wrath of God is withheld, and they become adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Church, the Lord is calling us to more of that. Rather than standing up, shouting, putting down, name calling, rah, rah, He's calling us to get on our knees, to be humble. That prayer can change atmospheres, can change the path of a hurricane, can change the sinful path and nature in somebody's life that is going to yield to God. Prayer changes things. I remember when I was first saved, and I'll have Isaac and Juliana can come up on stage, begin to play. Um, when I was first saved, there, we, one of the things we used to do is write names on a prayer card that people were believing to be saved. And we would pray and we would fast for them. And it wouldn't be just like, Lord, please save James. I pray that James would know you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, who's next? Okay, Liz. Okay, Lord, please uh, bless Liz. I pray that she would feel your touch today. I pray that she'd be saved. In Jesus' name, okay, next. No, no, no. We would actually fast. We would get on our knees before the Lord and we would pray, like we prayed earlier today, Lord, what's your heart for James? God, what's your heart? What do you want to say to this young man? God, what's your heart? What's going on in his Lord life right now, Lord? And God, I, I pray those things. And God would just begin to disclose and begin to pray for those things. Well, there was a girl that was a name on a prayer card, and she was um, kind of living a lifestyle that was wild. And her roommate had gotten saved and came to our church. And so we were praying for this girl. And one day, this girl got saved, and that girl is my wife on. She was just the name on a prayer card. Many people thought she was too far gone. She's running amok. She's doing her thing, partying, living a lifestyle, drugs, alcohol. 
And it was a miracle that suddenly one day she finally surrendered. There's people that are close to you that God's put in your sphere of influence that he's calling you to stand in the gap and pray for. He's calling me to stand in the gap and pray for. The question is, will you answer the call? So again, this Wednesday, I pray you come. I hope you come. I hope that you feel a burden to pray. I hope that you have a desire to pray. And the more as we go through this series, you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna gain more tools in your tool belt. Next week, we're gonna, I'm gonna share on the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, just, the disciples are, they see Jesus praying all the time and then they come up and they say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? By the way, that's a good discipleship moment. You wait for people to ask before you give your input all the time. And so Jesus says, yeah, I'll teach you to pray and he teaches them to pray. So next week, we're gonna have these cool prayer cards that are gonna teach you the Lord's Prayer. And I'm gonna teach you to pray like my pastor taught me to pray, which is like the, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And it's gonna be a tool in your tool belt. And during the course of these next seven weeks, we're just gonna crank up the fire in our prayer lives. We're gonna turn up that thermostat, baby. And we're gonna have times where we pray first. I used to pray as a last resort, not as a first response. But the Lord is calling us to step up individually, and I believe corporately as a body, where we're gonna have more times of prayer. I'm gonna end today where we started in Hebrews 4.16. Because of all these things, because everything that we've just listen to, learn from, and Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening.